Hey guys, it's Dr. J. And Apostle Sherman. And we are so excited that you have tuned in for this week's message. We pray that it blesses you and helps to transform your life and the direction that God has for you. Enjoy the message. Hallelujah, surely the Lord is worthy to be praised. to come to you all this week and close out such an amazing series. I don't know about you, but I've been talking to people, I've been listening to the messages and really being encouraged not to just go after my dreams, but to be challenged in that area. And we hope that this week is no different. You still have time to share. If you have anybody, somebody that you care about and you love and you want to see them walking in God's purpose for their life, guess what? Go ahead and tag them or share right there. We don't want them to miss out on all that God is doing here with us as a growing community. So we're going to jump right into it, guys. We've been in a series called Once Upon a Time. And every single week, we're being pushed to this place of really dreaming at another level. And this is the last week of the series. We're done. How many of you know that in a fairy tale, when it starts with once upon a time, it also ends with something very distinct? What's the end? What do they say at the end? Go ahead and type it in the comments. Okay. Nope, not really at the end. What do they put at the end? The end. So I want to preach a message to you entitled, The End. You know how it starts, and usually you put the end. So much to a default that even kindergartners and first graders, when they finish stories, they have this really bad habit in the beginning to put the end. And, um, you know, you talk to them about how you can actually write a conclusion and not be so explicit with it. But I feel like there's a message in knowing the end. We know the beginning, we're living out the in-between, but there is a special kind of grace in knowing the end. I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah 29 and 10. And it reads, for thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And then you shall call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me. And when you shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place when I cause you to be carried away captive. In a day and age where we have political unrest, all kind of unrest. We're in the middle of a pandemic. 
And even religiously, I think that there's been quite the upheaval and chaos even in some of our belief systems. I think that there is this unrest overall. And so this idea where violence, death, uncertainty is very commonplace to us. We don't even know when our kids are going back to school. <laughs> Um, I think it's really interesting that we read a Bible that promises us that still there is a future that can be stable. There is a future that we can be assured of. And so even though this is what we're experiencing nationally, it's not what we have to experience personally. And so like people, and I think that 2020 really has pointed that out, this out, that people have found security in money because when they don't have it, they feel very insecure. People have found security in jobs because now that we're losing them, then people do not feel secure. People have found security in so many things that have been faulty. And so hello 2020, 2020 really revealed what we've been standing on as the rock because one thing has not changed and that is God and his plan for our future. So if 2020 caused you to second guess anything as money, as jobs, as schooling, all those things begin to shake, then our stability was in the wrong thing. When we look at man, man has always been fascinated with knowing the future, right? And so we see that through tarot card readings, we see that through palm readings, um, we see that through even witches in the Bible where people are seeking out uh, people who aren't speaking for God, um, but they really are telling soothsayers and different things. Even now, people go to psychics, they get their palms read, they read horoscopes. And even as children, who used to play MASH? Y'all used to play MASH? Listen, right? Mansion, apartment, shack, house. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You list all the names. You ain't married none of those people on the list. And, but all of it was what? To try to get some type of sense of what the future holds. Man has always been interested in what the future holds, trying to find out. I mean, investing time, investing money. And people might say, oh, I don't do any of the horoscope stuff. I never had my palm read, no tarot cards. Okay, I played MASH, but I was innocent. How many take those Facebook quizzes? You take those quizzes, right? And you, you, they be like, okay, in 2021, I see you this. October, you dating, November you engaged, December you pregnant, oh no, December you married, hopefully, and then January you pregnant, right? It's this whole thing, but this idea of you take these little innocent quizzes because somewhere on the inside, you're looking to find stability and security in what your future holds. What we must not forget, even though we've sought it in all these different places, is that God has already planned our future. If he's already planned our future, the only assurance that we need is in finding out what his plan is and making it our plan. 
Proverbs 16 and 3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. A lot of the unrest that we feel is because his end has not yet become our end. And so we're unsure of the future. We're unsure of what's to come because we haven't grasped hold of the person who planned our future and actually inquired of the Lord so that we have unexpected end. Jeremiah 29 and 10 is a scripture that speaks into this idea, and it really is a very popular quoted promise um, from God about his future plans for our lives. And Jeremiah is a real prophet. And so as Jeremiah prophesizes, he really heard the word of the Lord for the people who were in captivity. But there's a certain language that people with an expected end use. People with an expected end, they seek God. Because when you have an expected end, then it would behoove you to seek out the person who planned that expected end. How do you believe in a God who planned a future for you, but he's the last person you consult? How do you believe in a God that planned a future for you, but you spend more time life planning than you do praying? How do you believe in a God who planned a future for you, but you Why? Your harvest is not there. You don't run away from the place where God has set you because of man and their decisions. Why? Because my future has already been planned and my harvest is here where God has called me to. You literally, what do you do? You seek the peace and prosperity in every single one of them. You run from your job, sure, but remember, that's where your peace and prosperity is, if that's where God called you. Run from your city, sure, but that's where your peace and prosperity is, if that's where God called you. In John 10 and 27, he says, uh, Jesus says it like this, my sheep hear my voice and know them and they follow me. When we are in Christ, we actually hear the voice of our shepherd. When people say, I just am not hearing from the Lord. I'm not saying I've never had a silent season. But when people are in a perpetual season where they feel like they're not hearing, it usually is because you are too far from the shepherd to hear his voice. 
or you don't know the shepherd well enough to recognize his voice. When I meet new people and I hear their voice on the phone, then sometimes I just don't recognize them. I'm not familiar with them enough, but there are certain people that I, like a laugh, a noise that they make, and automatically I know who it is. We were talking about this this weekend. We have a partner in Vegas, Curtis. Curtis. And there's this noise that he makes. And when he makes that noise, you know it's Curtis. And for many of us, we've been in this space where we're looking, we're seeking, and God's talking. But because we're not entreating him as shepherd, then we do not heed and we cannot follow his voice. When we do we realize that the future that he has prepared for us, he will literally guide us step by step through that future. There's a popular expression, bloom where you are planted. And this passage, even in the Bible that references this, it encourages you to make roots even where you are uncomfortable. And this is really interesting because a lot of times we run from the place of being uncomfortable. But think about these captives, they're captive. Like, why would they have instructions to seek peace and prosperity in the middle of captivity? Like, what sense does that make? But in that place, that is where you find yourself, where you don't want to be. But if God has led you there, then that place must be fertile ground. It is not our job to curse the ground, it's our job to learn how to till the ground. But when you don't know what your end is, then you begin to question the ground, you question the weather, you question the position of the sun, you question the seeds that went into the ground, you question everything about it. Why? Because you don't have an expected end. But when you are sure that God has already planned my future, when you are sure that I have an expected end, I don't curse the ground. I try to figure out what is it that this ground has for me because it may look dry, it may look desolate, but if this is what God has promised me, then fertility is in this ground. Proverbs 19 and 21 says it like this. Many are the plans in the mind of man but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I love that scripture because in essence, what I feel like it's saying is that it doesn't matter if your friends actually support your plans. It doesn't matter if your mother supports your plans. It doesn't matter if your father supports your plans. It doesn't matter if you even believe in the plans. When you have an expected end, when you have an expected end, then the plans will not make sense to you. Why? Because you are man. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. So most likely, if you plan it out and it is completely logical or makes sense to you, then most likely you probably are not operating in the full plans of Christ. Why? Because it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And because his thoughts are slightly different than our thoughts, because the way he does things are slightly different than the way we do things, then it will not register. It kills me when people are like, it just didn't sit well with my spirit. Your spirit's probably dirty. Like your spirit could be dirty. Your attitude could be nasty. And you could not have the right mindset right now. 
So I really am not moved when people say it doesn't sit well with their spirit. Okay, what's your spirit maintenance like? Because you can't blame it all on it not sitting right with your spirit. Especially if you look back and you look at how your seek is. Because, see, depending on the depth and the level of your seek, your feelings cannot be trusted. The fact that you are worrying about your future already says something about how well you have grabbed hold of an expected end. When you know that there is an expected end, you don't freak out as much. You just don't. Because you know that the promise of the Lord will always prevail. You know that you have an expected end and a future that has already been planned and cannot be changed. And this is why you don't need the agreement of man when you have an expected end. Because you know where you're going. You know where you're going. You know why you're going. And you know who you're going with. But God's promise to these people in exile was that it will come to an end. Verse 10 tells them, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Our problem is we think he's never coming back for us. We literally begin to convince ourselves that we are stuck here, that he's forgotten about us, and that he's not coming back for us. But he promises. He promises, and if you trust him, I don't care if it's been seven years. I don't care if it's been 17 years. I don't care if it's been 70 years. One thing that we cannot be shaken on is to begin to allow our mind to go in that space where we think that somehow, some way, that he's not coming back for us. And I'm not talking about the rapture. I'm talking about coming back for you in the situation that you're in. He's coming back for you when it comes to pursuing your career. He's coming back for you when it comes to making the family that he promised you. He's coming back for you when it comes to fulfilling your dreams. He's coming back for you when it comes to your money, your financial status. He's coming back for you. Why? Because he promised that he would come back. Ecclesiastes 7 and 8 says the end of a matter is better than its beginning. Why? Because patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. You know what makes people anxious? It's sense of entitlement. Because you think you're owed. You think you're owed an easy season. You think you're owed this idea that you don't have to struggle. And that's why it says patience of spirit is better than the haughtiness of spirit. Why? Because you got to exchange them. You can't be patient and haughty at the same time. But when you think that you're above struggle, you think you're above perseverance, you think you're above endurance, building character on the inside of you, then you forfeit the patience that God is working on the inside of you. And that's why the end would be better than its beginning. We have an expected end. We have an expected end. Why not just wait for it? But when we have to, when we're made to wait, we get full of ourselves. When we're made to wait, we start to look at who didn't wait as long as we did. When we're made to wait, we start questioning what you did wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. Tired of people asking that question. Why am I not married yet? Why I don't have this yet? Why haven't I seen this yet? What did I do wrong? Nothing. You didn't do anything wrong. 
There's nothing wrong with you. You didn't do anything wrong. It's just your time to wait. It's just your time to wait. And it's as simple as that. You're beating yourself up and scrutinizing the decisions that you've made, bringing up stuff that God's forgiven you for, and you're accounting it to your life as a curse on your life instead of receiving the blessing of patience. It is a blessing to be patient. It is a blessing to have fruits of the Spirit. If you didn't get a chance to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit, how could you be the fruit of his labor? How could you be a representative of Christ? He's got to work that thing in us. I count it a blessing that he's going to make me wait for some things. I count it a blessing that he's going to take something that looks bleak and turn something amazing out of it. I count it a blessing that he's going to build a testimony on the inside of me. I count it a blessing blessing that he chose me why because he promised me and so I don't care how long he makes me wait he promised he just promised so I'm gonna sit right I'm just I didn't do nothing wrong he promised so I know he's coming but what we begin to do we've been talking about dreams we sometimes start to work our dreams like there's another dream and so we begin to treat the dream that God gave us like it was plan A, but we need to pursue a plan B. And the problem with that is that all of your second guessing and all of the investment that you're putting into plan B, all of the investment that you're putting into plan C are a distraction from what you've actually been called to do. So if you would work the dream that he gave you like there's not another one, then you would be closer on your way to fulfillment of the plans that he has for you. Why? Because he knows the plan that he has for you. And so if he knows the plans, at some point, you got to know the plan. When we think about, um, there's another expression, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Y'all heard that expression before? Put it in the comments if y'all heard that expression. Problem with that is that there's absolutely nothing wrong with putting all your eggs in one basket. Whose basket is it? Now, if it's your basket, I would agree. Don't put all your eggs in your faulty basket. Don't put all your eggs in your fleshy, doubtful, dirty basket. But if it's his basket, you better put all your eggs in that basket and your neighbor's eggs. It is the opportunity for doubt. It means that don't put all your belief, don't put all your hope, don't put all your faith in one place. This is why people want to believe in multiple gods. Because they feel like, well, if this one don't work out, Surely Buddha gonna come through. So I'ma feed the Buddha and praise the Jesus. Cause one of them gonna work out, right? And then on the side, I'ma worship the stars and then I'ma have my crystals and then I'ma burn the sage just in case something gotta catch, right? Something, something gotta catch. But it's the same concept of don't put all your eggs in one basket. Why not? I have an expected end. 
So if I take all my money and bet it on God's plan for me, if I take all my eggs and bet it on God's plan for me, if I take all of my effort, all of my time, all of my thoughts, all of my sweat, all of my tears, all of my commitment, all of my planning, if I take every single thing I have and I put it in the right basket, I put it in the right place, it is okay. Why? Because I have an expected end. His plan A is wonderful, so we don't need a plan B. And when you open the door to plan B, you open the door to things that will distract you from what he's doing. Plan A is full of these promises. Plan A says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. The concept of praying and not getting an answer is debunked. You will seek me and find me. The concept of speaking to an atmosphere and it not shifting, it's been debunked. You will seek me and find me. The concept of giving and sowing into the kingdom of God, it's debunked. You will seek me and find me. The concept of worshiping and it not changing, the concept of worshiping and you not feeling closer and more in tune with the Lord, it is debunked. You will seek me and find me. You will pray and find me. You will worship and find me. You will read my word and find me. You will commit to Holy Spirit and find me. You will reach out to me and find me. You will put tears on this altar and you will find me. There is not a question that you will find the Lord. You can seek out a lot of stuff and it may or may not work out. But he says for sure, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. People who haven't expected in, they just obey God. They just obey God. It's like when you're not sure, then you don't obey. You just don't. I've done, um, I don't do a lot of extreme sports, but when we go on vacation, we do some, like many, it's, it's extreme for me, okay? So horseback riding on the side of cliffs and stuff like that, that is extreme to me, okay? ATV riding where you could fall over the mountain, that stuff is extreme to me. And when they give you, listen, for me, and then the other stuff, what do we do? The little jet skis where you like bouncing and like you could break your pelvis and all, that's extreme for me, okay? But when you do these things, they give you instructions. They give you instructions and they say, don't do this, don't do that, make sure you do this. If you get in this situation, do this, do that, do this, do that. And I'd be hesitant. Why? Because I don't know the expected end. I don't really know what's going to happen. I don't really know what it's going to be. But if you've already seen a picture of you at the waterfall, you've already seen a picture of you back at the main station where you started, you've already seen a picture of those things, you obey faster. Which is why the more you obey, the easier it is for you to obey in the future. People who have a hard time obeying God, it's because they don't believe in an expected end. But when you know that there's an expected end, you obey. And you don't just obey. You obey swiftly. 
Some of us had those parents where it was like, you better obey, but not just obey. You better obey swiftly. Why? Because you had an expected end. You saw the back of that hand coming across that table. You saw that switch coming off that tree. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying I do any of this stuff, y'all. I'm just saying I have been on the receiving end. And so I learned to not just obey, to obey quickly. Your, the only security blanket that you need is that God is interested in you and your future. Think about the effort it took for him to plan your entire life. Think about the effort that it took for him to plan all the ebbs and flows, for him to plan your arrival, for him to plan your time here, for him to plan the end. Then guess what? He is just as committed to your future as you are. You, somehow we think that we're more committed to our future than God is. He planned this thing. Your life is a testimony of Jesus. So how can you be more committed to your future than he is? He orchestrated it. But what you got to remember is that God will not force his plans on you. He won't force it. He planned it, but he will not force it. The plans of God require your cooperation. And if you want his plan to be fulfilled, you have to seek him. If you want his plan to be fulfilled, you have to spend time with him. If you want his plan to be fulfilled, you have to become more like him. If you want his plan to be fulfilled, it requires obedience. Every person, every believer, like believer or not, desires a secure future. I know people are not believers. They want a secure future, but our calling has not changed. Somehow we think that our calling shifts, it changes, we can change it. Absolutely not. Your calling is still the same, to obey God. Look at the first miracle. The only instructions were to do whatever he says. John 2 and 5, it lays it out for us. Just do whatever he says. Everything that's happening right now is not about to make sense. Everything that's about to happen a lot of that will not make sense. Just do whatever he says. I don't care if you agree with it. I don't care if it sits right with your spirit. Just do whatever he says. I don't care if you think it's fair. Do whatever he says. I don't care if you think it's taking too long. Do whatever he says. So what? Somebody else was supposed to happen to you. Something else was supposed to happen to you. It was supposed to happen a different way. Do whatever he says. Obedience is the way of people who haven't expected in. In the context of our scripture, the captives of Babylon, this is what they're told. They're in captivity, mind you guys. Settle down. Build houses. Succeed. Plant gardens. Eat the fruit of them. Pandemic. Settle down. Build houses. Succeed. Plant gardens. Eat the fruit of them. Why? Because my plan has not changed. Right? Because we are the people who have unexpected ends. And so because I have an expected end, I can
can build houses. I can settle down. I can plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Why? Because his plans have not changed. God explains to them, you need to learn how to accept the situation that you're in. Find yourself in that situation and now thrive. You need to find yourself with no money in the bank and now thrive. You need to find yourself not knowing the next plan and now thrive. You need to find yourself getting rejected from the job and now thrive. 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 Let the world say that everything's falling apart. Now thrive. Let the world say that people are losing their houses. Go buy one. Let the world say that people are losing jobs. Go get two offers. Let the world say that we don't know what to do. Go make a plan. Why? Because you have unexpected end. Restlessness discouragement and disagreement are not valid reasons to disobey. And I, I learned this honestly. I'm like, no, I'm tired. I'm tired of it not working out. Not a good reason to disobey. I'm tired of starting again. Not a good reason to disobey. I'm tired of investing in people and places and I not get the return that I feel like I'm due. Not a good reason to disobey. <laughs> just because you are tired, just because you disagree, just because you are restless, that is not a good enough reason to disobey. And so when you find yourself justifying the reasons why you are disobedient, it's because you don't believe in an expected end. Because see, you're holding on to a harvest that's something that was so menial and there's a whole field of harvest is waiting for you and you're waiting for a potted plant. You crying because your little box plant didn't make it. You crying because your little potted plant didn't make it. You seen those leaves wither right here and God says, hello, you have an expected end. You don't have to cry over this right here. You have an expected end. I have a whole future that I plan for you. People who have an expected end remain confident. They're just confident. Everybody feels anxious with uncertainty. It's natural. You're gonna feel a little something. You might be uncertain of the situation. You might be uncertain of yourself. Been there, both places. Just uncertain of what's next, uncertain of myself. Is this really what I've been called to? Are you sure it was me? How many people were born on that day? Maybe it was the baby that was born across the country. Maybe it wasn't me. I know you got a plan, but did you get them crisscrossed? If you're not careful, you will let anxiety take over your life. You will go for a job interview. They'll tell you ahead of time that you're super qualified. You got the right outfit, you got the right hair. You, you arrive early, you got your resume. You have everything in place. Anxiety will literally creep in and have you in your car thinking of the worst scenario. Anxiety has had me thinking like, what if I go in and my blouse pop open? Anxiety have had me thinking, what if I go in and they absolutely hate me? What if I go in and I say the wrong thing? What if I go in and I pass gas and I sit in the chair? Like, anxiety will have you, like, freaking out. Why? Because everything that could happen, anxiety is going to plant the seed of it, and you will think that the absolute worst is going to happen. But what could happen, guys? You have an expected end. So what if all that stuff did happen? 
you have an expected end. What if it really did fail and really, what if you really did sit down in the chair and poot and really what if you said like the wrong thing when you got there? And what if your clothes were not right? Like what if all that stuff happened? Who cares? You have an expected end. What if the offer that you made on the house really does not go through? Who cares? You have an expected end. What if the investment that you made, it falls to shambles and you make absolutely nothing? Who cares? You have an expected end your future has been settled it is no longer in question and so we are to remain confident it harms you mentally it harms you physically to go through these anxious things to go through these anxiety attacks to go through these ups and downs it harms you and it harms your future because every bit of that when you're walking through that every bit of that as your confidence shrinks your future shrinks your future is only as large as you believe it can be so as your self-esteem goes down your future goes down as your confidence goes down, your future goes down. As you begin to believe less and less in yourself and believe less and less in your God, your future is shrinking right before you. Here's God's promise to you. I have a plan. I have a future. But here's the other part of his promise. Something will happen. Something bad will happen. This is part of his plan. You will fail. Something will go wrong. Something won't work out. You will hit a ceiling. You will hit a brick wall. How do I know that's part of his promise? Because he tells me what to do when I do it. He tells me what to do when I get discouraged. He tells me what to do when I hit a ceiling. He tells me what to do when I'm having trouble with my faith. He tells me what to do when I get shaken. So then that's how I know it's part of his promise. That's his promise. Here's the rest of his promise. You'll have two choices. You can give up or you can keep going. It really is that simple. You can give up or you can keep going. You have to resolve that every single time something happens, you will revisit and reframe your identity. Every time something happens, you have to revisit and reframe your identity. When bad things happen, especially to people who are pursuing great things, then your identity is shaken. You have to refix it every single time. It's like reloading a gun. You're going to have to just reload. You've got to center yourself and you've got to tell yourself who you are. You've got to tell yourself whose you are and you have to tell yourself why you are here. You have to make an intentional decision. People are like, just try again, just try again. Don't do that. Don't just keep trying again. Stop, reset your identity revisit your identity. And I'm not saying this takes seasons and months and all that kind of stuff, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is try again after you revisit your identity, after you reset who you are, after you declare uh, words of affirmation and promise over your life. What are some words and affirmation that you can declare? You can declare all the scriptures that we've read today. Jeremiah 29 and 11, declare that. That's a part of revisiting and resetting your identity. Proverbs 16 and three, that's a part of resetting and revisiting your identity. John 10 and 27, that's a part of resetting and revisiting your identity. Proverbs 19 and 21, that's a part of revisiting and resetting your identity. But you have to do this intentionally because if you allow life to slightly 
chip away at your identity and who you are, by the time you finally get to the promise, you won't be the full person that God's called you to be. And so when you get in that space, you'll feel like the space is too big for you and that you're too small for the space, but it's because you left every tiny little piece of yourself along the way. And so when you get there, you're not actually a whole person. You don't have your full identity intact. And so do not allow these attacks to take from you and you not snatch it back. So the attack is going to happen. It's going to take a little piece of you, but you're going to snatch it back. And you're going to try again, but you're going to try again whole. You're going to try again, but you're going to try again knowing who you are. You're not going to try again being unconfident. You're not going to try again being unstable. You're not going to try again being unsure of yourself. When you try again, you will be sure. When you try again, you will be confident. When you try again, you'll know you're expected in. Now try again. Now fail, reset, and try again. Now fail, reset, and try again. Why? Because he needs you to arrive at the promised land completely who you are. When you finally get there, he can't have you chipped away into tiny pieces. Your identity is the prime, the pump that primes your motivation. People who are like, I just don't feel motivated. You're having an identity crisis. Yeah, because when you're not motivated to do something, you literally don't know who you are. It's time to revisit and reset your identity. People who have a strong identity, they don't have a motivation problem. They just don't. Motivated people have a clear and compelling goal, unexpected end. Motivated people have a path to achieve that goal. They're just walking through it. Motivated people have the confidence to actually do it, to actually see it. We've made it way too complicated. Complexity kills motivation. That's why they say even like with first graders, second graders, don't give them too many steps. When it's like too many steps, it gets too complicated, so you feel like you can't do it. As an adult, I feel the same way. So if somebody's like, you got to go down the street, and then you turn the corner and make a left. You're going to see the mountain, but don't go towards the mountain. Go the opposite direction. And then if you keep going, it's like a little blue house, and a little old couple be sitting on the, on the um, porch, swinging their legs. But then you got to make a U-turn because it's an island in the middle of the street. like, forget it. No, too, it's too complex. And we've allowed for God and his promises to become so complex that we're not even motivated to pursue them. But it's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. And if you let the devil convince you that it's that complicated, you won't be motivated to actually pursue it. It's really simple, guys. I live for God. I was created for his work. We dream together. He knows all the plans and he clues me in as needed. It's not that complicated. It really is not. When you try to figure out and be all up in other people's business, you want to be all up in God's business trying to figure out how he's going to do it, you're making it too complicated. Not your job. He knows the expected end. And if you can trust that he knows where you're going, sit in the back seat, do what he tells you to do, and move on with your life. People who have an expected end, they find joy in living God's dream. Like, it actually is joyful. Have you ever heard people talk about, like, with disdain, what they've been called to do? And it's like, oh, you know, and the Lord is calling me here, and he's calling me to do this. I'm like, well, don't do it. Don't do it. Because that's not what he's called you to. 
Like, if you are like in so much turmoil, then you haven't really submitted to him anyway, so just don't do it. There is joy. There is joy in the fulfillment of God's dream for you. Jesus experienced the ultimate joy. I'm not saying he didn't go through rough patches, but you saw what he did when he went through a rough patch, right? He was like, okay, I'm going to submit this thought to you. I got some ideas of what I could do instead of getting on this cross. What about X, Y, Z? No. Okay. Okay, not my will, your will. I got you. That was it. That was it. We didn't fight back and forth. We didn't go through all this. No, 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 no. He was like, hey, I got an idea. No? You don't like that one? Okay, no problem. Not a problem. Not a problem. I'm just going to sit back here. And the ultimate joy was in fulfilling what God's plan was for him. I love Isaiah 66 and 9. It says, shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord. Shall I, who calls delivery, shut up the womb? So in other words, shall I bring you into the labor room and not bring forth what I promised to you? Do you think that I actually would bring you all the way to the labor room and not have you leave here with the baby that I promised you? Do you think that would make you carry this thing all this time only to get to the end and send you home empty-handed? Heavens no! I have an expected end for you. I will bring you to the labor room. I will cause you to birth forth what I put on the inside of you. You will go home with your vats full. You will go home with the harvest that I have planned for you. Why? Because you have an expected end. Many of us, we've received a dream from the Lord. You got to be faithful to it. And realize that your life is actually not valuable until you're walking in what he has for you. It's a waste, guys. Yeah, it's scary. It can be disappointing. It can be confusing. But remember, the first dream that he ever shared with you was the Great Commission. And that was that you go, walk with me, make disciples, be my hands and feet in the earth. It's the first dream he ever dreamed for us was to make his name famous. Matthew 25 and 21 is the end. Well done, my good and faithful servant. For every once and upon a time, there is a the end. Visualize yourself as exactly who God called you to be. One of my favorite things to do is to practice introducing myself as exactly who God called me to be. And eventually, your declarations, your belief, your perception catches up to reality. And before you know it, you are that person. But you'll be that person before you see it tangibly. Through it all, affirm yourself. Here is your declaration. I am sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in me, he will perform it. He will bring it to completion in me until the day of Jesus Christ. 
God wants to dream with you because he already had a dream for you. But we have to be those who believe in an expected end. Let me pray with you. God, I thank you. These are your people. These are your sheep. These are those who want to know your voice and they want to know it greater. God, we ask today that there comes a certain level of confidence and boldness that the body of Christ, not even just here at all nations, but that the body of Christ at large, we begin to walk in the confidence that we have an expected end. We begin to walk in the confidence that as we obey you, that as we seek you, that as we carry ourselves and we walk day in and day out, that every situation that we're in, God, that you have a plan for us. And we commit, oh God, to act as those who have an expected end. We commit, oh God, to speak as those who have an expected end. We commit to give like those who have an expected end. We commit, oh God, that we will run and wake up every single day like those who have an expected end. No longer will low self-esteem and low confidence and second-guessing rack the body of Christ. But we will be believers who act as if we have a father and we have a future. And that future is one that we refuse to let go of. That future is one that we refuse not to wrestle with. That future is one, oh God, that we will live with, we will wrestle with, we will walk in confidence and we know, oh God, that the plans that you have for us are a hope and a future. Plans that we will prosper and not of evil and we thank you for that. Would you put your hands together? Would you open up your mouth right there where you are? Right there where you are? Would you thank him for a future? Would you thank him for a future? Would you give him praise for a future? Would you thank him that what you're in right now is not the end? Would you thank him that what you've seen so far is not the end? Would you thank him that he thought of you to make a plan for your life? Would you thank him that he's gonna carry you through? Would you thank him that he's gonna bring you to the labor room and he's gonna bring forth everything that he placed on the inside of you? We thank you for fulfillment. We thank you for grace. We thank you for patience. We thank you for enduring. We thank you for understanding. We thank you, oh God, and we, your people, give your name praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow, that was amazing. Agreed. We want you to stay connected with All Nations San Bernardino. Do not let the uplifting stop here. Join us on Facebook or Instagram for more amazing content. We want to connect with you. And guess what? If you're in town or even out of town, come visit us at All Nations San Bernardino all the way live.